Hi, I'm Cheryl, and I'm a mom, coach, domestic abuse survivor, and host of the Healthy Mom After Divorce podcast, where I help moms survive their high-conflict divorce and develop safe, healthy, and sustainable co-parenting strategies. I know it feels scary, but with the right tools, mindset, and education, you can do this. It may not be easy, but there is light at the end of that tunnel. So let's take that next step together and get this episode started. Hey, Healthy Mamas. This is the ninth episode of the Healthy Mom After Divorce podcast. And as always, I am very thankful you have decided to join me today. Today's topic is going to be a challenging one for a lot of us to digest, and one that I think we as mums have grappled with a lot. I think it can be even harder and one we need to learn sooner as divorce mums. And the reason it's so hard to do what I'm going to talk about today is because it pushes against an instinct we have as soon as we become mothers. Find the full transcript for this episode at healthymomafterdivorce.com slash nine. As soon as we become pregnant, our life changes. Physically, mentally, emotionally, financially. The pregnancy experience differs from person to person, but for all of us at some point, our brain clicks over into being a mother and it never goes back. New moms have so much to learn, but there's also plenty that doesn't need to be learned. Stuff that just comes by instinct. It's innate and been around for as long as women have been having babies. In this episode, I am going to be talking about the maternal instinct to protect our children. Frankly, I don't know if there is any stronger instinct in a healthy mother. From the day our babes are born, that's what we're wired to do 100% of the time. Even when they're still in our tummies, most of us are asking questions about what is safe and not safe, what to eat, not eat, what to drink, not drink, how to sleep, exercise, not exercise, all the things. And most of us jump right on whatever we've been advised to do, whether it's by our OBGYNs or midwives, doulas, it's just how we are. There is no longer one well-being to think about, but two, or three, or even more in some cases. So here we are, feeding them, changing diapers, dressing them, feeding schedules, tummy time, bonding, on and on. We strap them into the best car seats and buy fancy strollers and locks for all our cupboards and doors. Oh yeah, making sure they're not wearing those mitts with the strings on them, right? I guess that depends what decade you had your kids in. But by the time they're one, two, five, ten years old, we have years of experience in protecting them, don't we? We're all really good at it, and most of all, we like it. We enjoy being their number one protector. And although this is our job at the beginning of their lives, we tend to want to carry on longer than is necessary or even healthy for us and them. In the beginning, being their number one protector is what's best for them. They need our protection in order to survive. 
But as the years carry on, we need to ask ourselves, is it still what's best for them? By the very nature of growing up, children become more and more independent. They start walking and climbing. They start playing in the other room without you in it. They start getting their own snacks and their own water. They start dressing themselves. Before long, they're riding their bikes. They're walking to school or hanging out with friends on weekends. They're doing their own homework, driving their cars, and getting jobs. And at every new stage, it becomes harder to protect them, doesn't it? It's so easy to do it when they're little. They stay in one spot when you put them down. But when they're 15 and hopping into a car with their friend who drives to go to the mall, it becomes a lot harder. I'd say outright impossible. But we hold on to the belief that our job is to protect them, stop bad things from happening to them, prevent all the dangers from falling at their doorstep, block all the cruelty in the world so we can save them from ever having to feel all the hard feelings. And as that job becomes harder and harder, we naturally hold tighter and tighter. We worry more. We try harder to maintain our position as chief protection officer in the business of motherhood. But honestly, if we take a step back, we start to see that our efforts are in vain, aren't they? We simply can't protect them all the time. As divorced moms, we have to face this reality sooner. If you're like me, you want to protect your kids from the uncertainty of the divorce, the big feelings that come with transitions, the stress and anxiety of knowing that their parents don't get along, the challenges of having two homes, the pain of not getting to see their mom or dad 100% of the time. But we don't get to protect them from those things, do we? Your kids do feel the uncertainty of your divorce. They do feel the big feelings around not getting to see their mom or dad every day. They do face the challenges of living in two homes where they don't have access to their favorite stuff all the time. They do feel the sting of transitions. And when you can't protect them, what do you do? Worry? Try harder? Take it upon yourself to fight to protect them every minute? What if, for a moment, you considered redefining your job as a mom? Maybe it's not about protecting them from all this stuff, but rather preparing them for it. Sometimes we keep ourselves trapped and unable to move forward when we refuse to accept our reality as it is. I talked in the last episode a little bit about when I discussed deciding what our experience of any given situation is. So if we're deciding to resist our situation, we're preventing ourselves from moving forward and building a healthy life within our circumstances as they are. This is the same for our kids. Two things happen if we stay in constant protector mode for our kids. Number one, We send the message to our kids that there is something that they need protecting from, which in turn can cause undue stress and worry in them. Number two, our kids never learn the tools they can use on their own to respond in a healthy way to challenging or stressful situations. And if our kids constantly think there is something they need protection from, 
they will always be in a hypervigilant state of mind and in the, you know, fight or flight response. It will keep them stuck thinking, my mom will rescue me because there's something to be rescued from. The situation is going to end. It will change. She'll fix it. Number one, no, you won't. Number two, there is nothing to rescue them from. This sounds harsh, I know, and I'm not talking about extreme situations where your children are in actual danger. I'm talking about the day-to-day realities of divorced co-parenting life. Do you have plans to rescue them from this? Can you change it? I'm guessing no. Even in the most amicable of divorces, there are inherent stresses that children will need to learn how to process and adapt to. If there is high conflict, there will be even more for them to learn how to deal with. And another step further, if your children are subjected to any form of abuse or manipulation, the sad reality is there is a good chance that you will still not be in a position to remove them completely from that situation. In short, you can't protect them all of the time, no matter how badly you want to. As divorce moms, this is something we need to learn to accept. We don't have to like it, but it's important to accept it. And I'll tell you why. Because once we do, we can move forward and channel all of your energy into preparing your kids to handle the challenges of life, both now and into adulthood. We can teach our kids how to process difficult situations, what to do or say, ways to use their voice, build resilience, and truly understand that although much of what they experience is not their fault, they will still need to learn healthy ways to cope, adapt, and thrive. Some examples of things we can do. We can hire professionals to help them. You know, we don't have all the answers. Take them to counselors and therapists. Expose them to loving, healthy family members and friends. Develop a wonderful community. Show them our healthy coping mechanisms and things to do and say when those big feelings come in. Consider some common examples that I hear from divorced moms all the time. Your kid tells you how badly they don't want to transition to the other parent. Your kid calls you crying from the other parent's home. Your kid is frustrated that their siblings or step-siblings are stealing their stuff when they're not there. Your kid says they were called a name by their other parent or some family member. In those moments, you will likely feel those big feelings with them. You naturally commiserate with them, and as a result, you want to swoop in and fix it. You want to go to bat for them, tell them they don't have to transition, cry along with them, and tell them how badly you miss them too. But I'd like to offer something here. What if those are not the best ways to help your kid during these times? Maybe when they call you crying saying they miss you, Rather than crying along with them and joining the despair and saying you'd pick them up right now if you could, try reassuring them that they are safe and loved, that you are safe. And although you miss them too, it's totally natural to miss someone and that you're so looking forward to seeing them again. It's important to listen to them and validate how they're feeling, but consider taking it another step further and don't just stop there. Maybe share something you do to help when you are sad and missing someone. 
this will be different for everyone, but offering a healthy mechanism for your kids to process missing you is a vital skill for them to develop and will be way more beneficial to them than seeing their mom, you know, bawling her eyes out and just as upset as they are. After all, there will be lots of times when they miss you. So the key here is not to burden them with how sad you are as well, but rather validate how they're feeling, relate to them, and then assure them it's nothing to be afraid of, and then teach them some tools. Now, another part of preparing your kids involves deciding what is, in fact, healthy and what is not. This may seem easy enough, but when the thing that may be best for your kid is not what you or they want to do, this becomes very tricky. But the goal is to prepare them. So these difficult choices may be the ones you have to make. Let's use the phone calls example again, since I know this applies to a lot of people and I hear about it all the time. When you have a phone call or a video call with your kid when they're with the other parent, there's lots of pros. You get to hear each other's voice and possibly see each other's face. You get to connect with them. You get to touch base and, you know, get a sense as to how your kid is doing. But there are some challenges to phone calls too, like lining up schedules or bad reception or internet connections or lack of privacy. These things can make the calls feel unnatural and stilted, but most of us find ways to manage, right? But there is one major con I'd like to point out. A phone call means that there will be a need for a goodbye. And this goodbye is essentially another transition, just in different form. So if transitions are something your kids are struggling with, it's possible that the pros of the phone call when they're with the other parent are far outweighed by the con of having to say goodbye to you again, especially if it causes them distress. The instinct to protect them likely feeds your need to call them and talk to them. You want to check in, you want to see them, hear them, make sure they're doing okay and are safe. But if hearing you and seeing you upsets them because they now have to say goodbye again, I would reflect on that. And if your calls are daily, this presents a situation where they have to say goodbye to you over and over. In this case, it's possible your instinct to protect them is steering you wrong and is causing unnecessary stress and anxiety on you both. So, if phone calls are an issue, what would a mum who is working towards preparing her kids do instead? Well, maybe preparing them looks like this. When they're with you, letting them know when the next transition is, talk about the fun stuff they might be doing while they're away, you know, doing your goodbye ritual, and then letting them just be with the other parent and not pulling them out of that time with a call, also known as another transition. Now, this might change depending on the length of the time they're away. If they're gone for a longer time, like a week or two, a phone call to check in is likely important and something a lot of us do. But if it's two days or three days, consider whether or not a call is actually healthy for both of you. Ask yourself, do we need a call every day or is it just what we've always been doing? 
What purpose does the call serve? Could my kids and I learn to go longer between calls in order to avoid another difficult goodbye? Could I learn to go another day without checking in on them? I am not saying this applies to everyone. I'm just offering an example and some food for thought. If there are certain aspects of divorced co-parenting life that your kids may not be adapting to super well. What if we looked at raising kids in a co-parenting environment through the lens of preparation and developing resilience and healthy coping mechanisms for them to put into action without our direct intervention, rather than us constantly trying to protect and shield them, which A, doesn't work, and B, generally originates from a fear-based perspective. You know, those rabbit holes of what-ifs. What if my kid is crying when they're with the other parent? What if they're scared or lonely? What if they don't talk to me every day? What if they're made fun of because their parents aren't married? What if they miss me? What if they stop needing me? I get it. We don't want these things for our kids, but we can't stop them from happening. They are all distinct possibilities, maybe even probabilities. I hope I haven't upset you, so let's take a step back and get perspective and use a less emotionally charged example. Say your boss wants you to contribute more at the monthly staff meetings. It's not something you're comfortable doing and you stress about it constantly. And when the meeting finally comes and it's your turn to talk, you try, but often stumble and can't get through your presentation. So your boss, in an attempt to help you, speaks up and takes over for you during the meeting. In the moment, you're so relieved. They have saved you, rescued you from this embarrassing moment. But what happens when the meeting is over and the countdown is on until the next meeting? Do you feel better? Do you feel less stress? I'm guessing not. The anxiety over the next meeting kicks back up almost immediately. But what if instead of rescuing you during the meetings, your boss saw how anxious you are and helped prepare you for the meetings ahead of time? What if they offered you tools to prepare and tips and tricks to get back on track if you stumbled during your presentation? How would that make you feel? I'm guessing you would feel more comfortable and grounded from being prepared by your boss. Your confidence would grow, and not only from the preparation, but also from the confidence your boss has in you to handle it yourself. And those skills would carry forward into lots of meetings and presentations you have to do in your lifetime. This boss won't always be around, but the skills they teach you will live in you forever. And even if you're never 100% confident that you won't stumble sometimes in your presentations, you'll have the confidence that no matter what happens, you can handle it. Your overall anxiety will drop, giving you the space to get better and better at handling presentations and just generally dealing with life's stressful situations. Now let's apply that to our kids. What if we stopped trying to swoop in and rescue our kids all the time? And I ask this for two reasons. One, we can't actually rescue them. And two, it doesn't help them in the long run. 
It doesn't teach them confidence in their ability to handle situations or process their emotions in a healthy way. They are going to miss you lots in their lifetime. They are going to miss many people in their lifetime. So let's help them learn how to miss us and the other people they care about. Let's teach them how to make healthy choices when we're not around. Let's help them learn how to process all the difficult emotions in a way that makes them feel capable in their ability to handle them when we're not always available. Because we're not. This will not only help your kid feel capable and independent and stable in the face of challenging situations and hard emotions, but it will also help you sleep better at night, knowing that you are building bit by bit by bit your kid's resilience and confidence in themselves to handle what comes their way when you're not there. Imagine how much easier you will rest knowing and believing that your kids are okay. As healthy divorce moms, let's work to raise grounded, resilient kids that grow up not asking why their mother didn't protect them, but rather appreciating a mother who taught them how to protect themselves. You know how this ends, healthy mamas. Chin up. And remember, healthy moms raise healthy kids. Thank you so much for listening. Please leave a review. And if you like what you heard, share this episode with other moms. Don't forget to follow me on social media. And if you want to learn more about me and what else I have to offer, head over to HealthyMomAfterDivorce.com. And while you're there, why not grab your copy of my free guide, Take Your Power Back, Four Ways to Feel in Control Through Your High Conflict Divorce. One foot in front of the other, Healthy Mama, you got this. I promise.